Anything that I've done on a rugby field, and I've done a lot, pales into comparison to somebody coming up to you on the street and, and grabbing your hand and saying, Brent, you changed my life. It pales in comparison. My guest today takes a portfolio career to a whole new level. New Zealander Brent Pope is a former rugby player, coach and a popular rugby pundit. Recognising a business opportunity, he set up Pope Shirts and Shoes. He has written children's books as well as his own autobiography, Brent Pope, If You Really Knew Me. Brent has opened up about his own struggles with mental health. And as an empathetic, candid and natural communicator, he is popular as a speaker. You won't hear Brent say, just get on with it. But you will hear him say, time and time again, share your troubles. And a very warm welcome, Brent. <laughs> it's I felt also important there in that introduction. You Thanks are very much. Important. Everybody's <laughs> important. And Brent, it's so lovely, isn't it? It's so lovely to be actually sitting in the same room together. Yes, exactly. I mean, I think that connection is something we've really all missed over the last few yeah. months. I no, mean, and you, months. You, exactly. And you make a point. I was just talking to a friend there I saw with his wife in town and they said, you know, I, I don't want to see another Zoom or I don't want to see another webinar because they're missing the kind of actual connection people have. And that's important. You know, yeah. we've uh, I know that, uh, you know, Zoom and Facebook and all these have got us over this period. And, and let's be thankful for that. But I think, you know, the sooner we get back to real sort of face to face connection in real lives is, is important. Yeah, yeah, it is really important. I think when it's t ripped from us, we all kind of. Yeah. And everyone has a different set of circumstances. Like some people say, oh, it's people with kids, it's harder for you. If you're living alone, it's harder or whatever. Mm. But everyone has their own set of circumstances. And I think we we need to be empathetic towards that, really, don't we? And understand and, uh, everyone's circumstances. Yeah, empathy, you know, it's a bit corny, uh, corny or cliche to say, but, you know, hopefully we're going back to a better. Uh, especially in, in the field I'm working in, a better mental health environment. Um, and you even look at connection. You just talked about connection before. You know, what I'm asking people to do is keep those connections because we really had to reach out. And a lot of, I talk, spoke to a lot of people. Um, as you know, I trained to be a psychotherapist a, a couple of years ago. So a lot of people would have been coming on to me looking for advice. And they talked about making connections with school friends or with family members and how valuable that was. My fear is that once we go back to the so-called normality, whatever that looks like, is that they drop those connections again. Um, and you think about the person that's maybe been living in loneliness for the last couple of years, suddenly has had this new wave of connection, be it Facebook, be it anything else, people calling in, dropping groceries, all that. Is that going to stop? And that would be my fear because, you know, there are going to be mental health challenges for a lot of people coming down the road. Um, and what does that look like? It'll be individual for, for a lot of people, but I suppose the, the, the tools remain the same. And I sometimes get a little bit annoyed when people are searching for, even when I'm out talking, as you know, around the country, it's, it's, it's a simple fix you know, people are looking for rocket science around mental health. But if you've lived with mental health as long as I have and you've learned all the tools or whatever like that, it's really quite simple. But people always look for, you know, it's going to be a lot more difficult to look after. Or they're not prepared to put the work in, Francis. You know, they don't put yeah. the work in. I just talked to someone yesterday and I said, you have to put the work into your mental health as much as you do your physical health. And people just don't get it. They get going to the gym, going for a cycle, all those things. Yes, they're good for mental health and, and on, on a level. But meditation, wellness, uh, positivity, all these things, motivation, all these things play into better mental health. 
you show empathy so much. Yeah. And, and in audiences, you know, in corporates and stuff like that, I've seen people open up and share with others within the group that this is them. Yeah. That the, so do you think it's something that people are opening up to? And do you think men open up as much as women? Uh, no, well, from the second part of that question first, absolutely not. Okay. Because it's, it's still... It doesn't matter what age, and I've spoken to I've spoken to um, uh, school children right up to corporate level, and that, as you know, and it's still the same for men. It's still deemed to be a weakness in our personalities that if we open up about our problems, that you know we're seen to be less of a man. And there's some understanding of that, even on a psychological point of view, because if you go back to Neanderthal man when they were the hunter and the gatherer they saw other men coming into their space as a threat. You know, what were they coming into? They had their little unit there where they went out and caught the mammoth or whatever and brought it back and, and the partner cooked it and they had the kids sitting around the fire. That was their role as a man. And if somebody else, another man came into it like, a, like another lion comes in to take over the herd, they see it as a threat. Mm -hmm. So men find it very hard to talk to other men about their problems. And, and, and we are changing that genetic divide somewhat but just to give you an idea, I was speaking to a group of men there last year, I think, uh, 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 corporately, and I said, look, no BS for this talk. I said, put a show of hands at the end of it. I said, who still has difficulty sharing uh, parts of their life or problem areas with their significant other or with a manager at work or someone at work? 90% of the people put up their hand. I said, well, we're still at that level. So we're not at a level now where people say, you know, yes, they're talking about. They may be on. They may be on a level talking about things, but the problem is, what are they talking about, and who are they talking to? And those things are criteria that have to be looked at too. It's all very well to say, look, speak out more, but who are you talking to? What advice are you getting? Um, that's step one. But we're not making it. You know. And do you think that has got to do with? the individual or has that got to do with the system cultural change that's yeah. the huge step that we've got to make and again i get a little bit sort of i get a little bit saddened because i've been i've been i've been telling my story plus add-ons for the last i'm kind of a, in rap terms i'm an original kind of gangster because i came out about my own mental health problems in a time where I really thought that would count against me. I thought working in the stereotypical rugby world, working on television, that they wouldn't be able to employ or handle somebody that had just come out and said that they'd suffered from anxiety and bouts of depression uh, all of their life. And I felt ashamed. And I'd lived with that shame my whole life. And I'd lived with that guilt. And people out there that do suffer from, uh, I'm not talking about being anxious about an event or something that's just normal and you can use that anxiety for for a proper a motivational tool i'm talking about what's going to go wrong is absolutely going to go wrong on the highest level fear of failure uh, fear of entering into something because it'll never work out well uh, moving on to panic attacks shaking crying uh, moving then on to depression you know bouts of double depression all those things I've had to face in my life. Mm -hmm. um, if I look back now, my father wouldn't mind me saying, but he was a very anxious man as well. Okay. Um, and again, I don't. When I speak, I speak from the heart, and I say, "Look, I'm 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 not an expert, but I'm an expert on me, if that makes sense." And what I do, what I do, the first part of my talks always remain the same. It's a story about that could be anybody. It could be the individual and that work thing. But as far as wanting to move that up a step now. It's organisations, it's companies that need to change their culture. 
And it's got to come from a cultural change that makes it easier, safer place for work colleagues to be and to say, I, I hope before I go that there's a situation that people can walk down the corridor and go into a manager's office or whatever and say, hey, you know, I'm having a bit of a problem outside of work even. You know, something has happened outside because it's coming to all of us at some stage in our life. Yeah. And for that manager to say, hey, we've got your back and take as much time as off as if you want and come back and not feel that they're judged, not feel that they'll miss out on that promotion down the, down the line because they've exposed a weakness. Because, in fact, if you look at corporate Ireland, like corporate America, like anybody, the people that are suffering from the stress and anxiety are quite often those managers mm. or those CEOs or CFOs that are the very people you're going to talk to. So it's about changing culture. How do we do that? Gradually. Yeah. And, you know, talking about cultures of brands and stuff like that, let's just talk about the All Blacks because mm, you're a New Zealander. Exactly. And look at their, the success of them. So yeah. who wouldn't want to emulate the success of the All Blacks? No yeah. matter what your, what your team is or your business is, do you think they have a culture yeah, of absolutely. respect and sharing and empathy? Is that well, I'll tell you where that comes from. It comes from 2007, mm -hmm. and I use it again in my talks because... I looked for a sporting team. The All Blacks are the most su successful professional sporting team in the world. I know people out there listening are going to go check out the Google, but check it out. They, professional sports. I'm not talking about amateur sports that you might have some club side that's been unbeaten for three or four years. So they're doing something right. What happened in 2007 was that they had lost the opportunity of a World Cup again. They had failed. And they failed miserably to such an extent that players like Richie McCaw or whatever like that came back uh, broken men from that tour. They came back to abuse. They came back to a country against them. And he found that very hard psychologically. Mm. So they brought in a sports psychologist for the first time for a lot of these players. And what they said about their mantra, their value system, their culture system then became better people make better All Blacks. So they took a holistic look at mental health, about performance, about anything like that. They took a holistic, I liken it to a pizza. You know, no one team or no one person has all the slices of the pizza. But what we're trying to get to is as many as we can. And that meant looking at, and it seems simple. This was same price. It seems so simple to say that if a player isn't happy in his home life, or isn't he happy in his married life or in his domestic life, then he's not going to perform. Mm. So they had to look at all those things and they had to look at, at what players were struggling domestically, what players were struggling educationally, what players were struggling culturally, and they changed it all around. And that made a significant change. And a lot of the All Blacks talk about that. And I've met a lot of them. And they a lot of talk about that as a real transitional moment for New Zealand rugby to go on then and win, subsequently win another two World Cups. But it was that change and it was a cultural change that made the difference. And I talk about that because it's it's something I know and it moved from, when I was involved, it moved from a win-at-all-cost culture mm. to let's look after the players. And they instigated some brilliant things. They had a, a mother hen that used to work for a lot of the provinces who was a player's mother uh, that the players could go to in times of, of kind of trouble or, or emotional trouble or psychological trouble and was somebody there for them. And that meant an awful lot, especially to the Islander players, the Samoans and the Maoris, who have a different culture altogether around mental health. I mean, you talk about people like me, but, you know, especially the Samoans and the Maori, um, you know, deep 
connections in tradition, a bit like the Irish, deep connections in legend, you know, a different culture, a family culture. You know, there's there's quite a there's quite a change in how they look at mental well-being and mental health as opposed mm. to people like me. But I even listen to you there, uh, and not somebody who's ever been involved with rugby. Yeah. Only that uh, my brothers played, but that was it. But I, you know, I I get a feeling that anyone that a part is part of that team would feel like they're cared for. Cared actually, for. you know yeah. what I mean. And their circumstances That's matter. It. And um, and there's a lot to be, I think, learned from that. And actually, if you even take a look at New Zealand as a country and how mm. they reacted to the COVID mm. crisis. The same way. You know, is it is that just all part of the, the New Zealander uh, culture now? No. Well, it's become, uh, you know, we've got a fantastic prime minister, yeah, Jacinda Ardern, who is humble, intelligent, a role model for every young New Zealand woman and everybody brought together two parties that would have been probably at loggerheads. You know, there was only really two parties in politics in New Zealand, Labour and National. Yeah. And, I mean, you don't get many people not talking about Jacinda as being brilliant. And I spoke I spoke about this too. What is it about her that makes her... It's because she has a real honesty and likability and care factor. I mean, to come up with the idea on her own, on her own, of making an announcement to all the children in New Zealand that they'd have to, you know, I think it went out at five o'clock at night or something, that the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy were deemed to be essential workers and they would get through. Just those little things that what you said before. And that's when I go back again, Francis, to the fact is, you know, let's not look at rocket science. Let's look at things like compassion, empathy, care, let those be the starting blocks for corporates out there that are looking looking for the first step on the rung to better wellness, better workplace productivity, all those things. It starts with showing you care. That's where it starts. You can move on from there, but if you don't have that, if you don't if you haven't built a culture of empathy, of compassion, of care, of safety, then you know, you haven't really started. It's all very well having the yoga mats out there or the cycling tracks, as I say it. Yeah. But where is that person that can come into work and say, hey, I'm looked after. I can be quiet in this workplace or I can be rowdy. I can be an extrovert. I can be an introvert. I can have, you know, other interests outside of work. I can do all these things. Mm-hmm. But for them all to be valued and for them all to be cared for. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Secret that connection is so important. I mean, you want yeah. to be doing this as part of something. You know, yeah, a part of something, yeah. a part of a purpose, a part of a, you know, the best companies are not necessarily always the most profitable. Mm. Um, I did something, I, and you're going to have listeners out there saying, but this is, you know, this is obvious, but it's not obvious. I mean, when I work with some management groups over time, I remember doing a, a, a seminar with a, with a, a manager, a CFO of a, of a very successful, on paper, very successful company. And a person in the audience put up their hand and said, how do you motivate your workers? And he said, I pay them more. And I thought, wow, that's not going to work. Now, he could have turned around to me and said, well, it's working. We're we're a successful company. Ironically, a couple of years later, the company folded. But there was a situation as, you know, people will be motivated for a short period of time for more money. But at the end of the day, like the All Blacks, to increase productivity, to increase success... People have to buy into your values, they have to buy into your purpose, they have to buy into your culture. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And happiness is important. I know in the and US, happiness. in the US, I mean, I I remember being at a few conferences oh, over there. Yeah. They had chief happiness office, office, oh, officers. Didn't yeah, really yeah. ever take off here. Yeah. But um, but they're great at that. Out of the yeah. book stuff. Yeah. You know, this is the way that you should you should be happy because you've got this 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 and the other. And yet they're probably some of the most unhappy people you meet because they're all trying to they're all trying to buy into something. You know, no, you need to, you, you, you need to start off and, and everybody needs to be pulling in the, in the, in the same direction. And I love that. I love that story. I think it was, was it, um, Robert Kennedy. Anyway, one of the Kennedys was visiting, um, uh, NASA at one stage and he went into the bathroom and there was a guy there mopping the floors. And he, he said to him, you know, he said, what do you do here? And the guy said, I help to put a man on the moon. And I thought that was wonderful. Yes. You know, he was yeah, part of yeah. the system. Yes. Even though he was mopping up the toilets, what would have been maybe considered by many people to be the, 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 the lowly job in that yeah. in NASA. Yeah. He still saw saw him as being part of the rung yeah. of the success of the whole company. Wow, if you can get that right, yeah. you've got everything right. And I guess playing devil's advocate, you know, we're talking about the responsibility of the corporates here or the organizations or, mm. you know, the leaders or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, do where does the responsibility begin and end? Is it not with the individual themselves to look after their own mental well, health? Well, a bit, a bit, a bit of both, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, there's got to be responsibility. So as soon as somebody comes through the door to work, I think that's where that's where, in a sense, the culture should start at its most basic level. Yeah. It should then emulate from there. So, you know, when they leave, they shouldn't be let down by the by the because I've talked to 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 a number of clients that have felt let down over this period you know one woman i was just talking to yesterday she said brent she said i just wished my company had shown they cared more mm. you know and that's all that's all she wanted and that's all a lot of people want they just want their companies that have reached out and they've they've not just contacted them in the last week to say oh, well are you ready to come back to work that they contacted them over that period of time and said are you okay are you doing okay? You know, just those little conversations. Mm-hmm. So I think the responsibility is, is is kind of for both of us. One, in the sense I know all about having to look after my own mental health because I'm not going to go out and 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 talk around the country and then say, hey, I don't put those things into practice myself because I'd be a fraud, and I'm certainly not a fraud. Um, so it's also a case of, yes, looking after your own mental health at, at a level, but then feeling confident enough that the place that you work, that the large family, if you look at it that way, has also got your back mental health-wise. And that's where creating the culture of compassion, empathy, it's okay not to be okay sometimes, all those needs to be created from the organisational point of view. And tell me, your decision to leave New Zealand and come and live in (laughs) Ireland, uh, was that to sort of reinvent yourself? Was that... Yes, in one regard, yeah. people thought it was to come away and play rugby, but it wasn't. It was to escape, um, because that was my way of dealing with things. Uh, it was to escape judgment. Uh, remember that I was, you know, a player, you know, that was kind of, you know, you'd be in the newspaper every week. That's always been part of my life, you know, as a kind of a, a, a as a well-known player in, in New Zealand rugby at that stage. I was ashamed of my mental health. I was powerless to do anything about it I, I looked for help and I couldn't get help and it even makes me emotional now to, to talk about those days because I felt I was a burden people that are out there listening will know um, how that feels I felt very much alone 
I felt that I was meant to be this six foot three aggressive strapping rugby player that I couldn't tie the thread between physical well-being I was fit I was healthy but I just couldn't tie the thread between that and my mental health uh, and that was the lesson um, I, I got myself into a very dark place in my life that I do talk about out there but uh, it was a situation where a call to the Samaritans uh, was what it took um, and then I just decided I decided I had to get away from that environment, that that environment wasn't good for me, that it was holding me back. So in a sense, did I come over to, to reinvent myself? No, I just come away to think that I didn't have to be ashamed anymore to walk into a into a, um, a council a council or whatever, see a counsellor. I was scared where I was. In, in, what what would people think? You know, what would people think that if I had to go to A&E because I was having a panic attack or I thought I was dying, what would they think of me? You know, they'd think I was less of a man, that I was a wimp. You know, harden up, man up, toughen up. All these things that were told to me. You and know, did you get that? That's what I got. Yeah. If I went to a doctor, and not, not, they didn't understand mental health in those days. If I went to a doctor at that stage and said, look, I'm having problems with anxiety, or panic attacks and that, I was told the same thing. But sure, Brent, weren't you player of the match last week? I thought, what the hell has that got to do anything? Yeah. I don't have a problem performing on the rugby field. In fact, on the rugby field, when I just had to focus on the now, which was whether the ball was coming to you or whether it wasn't or whether you were making a tackle, that was the happiest time of my life. It was after that or before that. Yeah. And strangely enough, the anxiety didn't come. The anxiety doesn't come from people say, how can you get up in front of a room full of 500 people or whatever that is and, and, and share your life? Or how can you go on television in front of millions of people and over the years, because they're not, that's not what caused me the anxiety. Yeah. For me, the anxiety goes back to earlier days of low self-esteem, low self-worth, uh, no confidence in anything that I do, that everything would be a failure. I had my first panic attack at 15 years of age. I thought I was dying. I didn't understand. I thought I was abnormal. I thought I was alone. And I mastered. I mastered this easygoing guy that nothing was a problem to. Problems kept shelving up. And men do that tuck them under the carpet for a rainy day. Mm. And boy, does it come back to haunt you at some stage. And that did to me. And even though even though you felt that way and you're hardening, you're obviously very hard on yourself, you have low self-esteem, you still mm. are, re- well, everything I know about you, quite goal-oriented. Oh, yep. But you also try new things. Yep. Like, you know, the shirts, the books, the psychology, <laughs> the present, you know, the, and you know, when I, I think, talked to, yeah. to you about how you ended up on RT and stuff like that, you know, it, it just kind of, yeah. It happened. It wasn't, you know, there was no big strategy around it. So you obviously have an appetite for risk. You make a really good point, And it's one of the greatest lessons I learned mental health wise as well was to put myself out of comfort zone. And I learned that from an early age because that is the way I trained as a rugby player. I'd always be, I always be, I'd always be out training and when I was exhausted, something would always come into my mind, are you training harder than the next person? And I could apply that in my physical life, but I could never apply it in my, in my mental well-being life until I decided, hey, you know, I learned the lessons that I now give out now as the tools. And one of those tools was, what's the worst that can happen here and work back from there? So then I said, okay, people are going to laugh at me if I write a children's book. They're going to laugh at me. But I'm prepared to do it because the next comfort zone would be easier. 
And that comes from rugby. It comes from rugby. It's like saying, you know, years before it was kind of trendy, you know, New Zealand rugby teams would put you out of position on a wing or something like that where you were isolated and thought, hey, I don't know how to play out in the wing or whatever because they were trying to do that very thing. Now, nowadays, we, we see players that are multi-skilled. I mean, you know, players could go out like Jamie Hislip and that these players could go out and play on the wing easily. But that wasn't always the case. And I remember even talking to Paul O'Connell and, and that when, when, when a New Zealand coach came over and he put him out in the wing, Paul said he was terrified. You know, about being, he said he was happy enough around the rucks and smashing people and, you know, but put him out isolated on the wing. He was out of his comfort zone. But there's a lesson in that. There's a lesson in that. The, 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 getting up and sharing your stories with people isn't easy, by the way. But the more times you do it, it becomes easier. And people say, oh, God, I couldn't do that. And I said, actually, yes, you could if you did the research and you and you did it, because most people are rooting for you out there. Most people mm. are saying, come on. You know, it's, like the, it's like the wedding speech where you don't want the guy to fail. Yeah. You, know, you want yeah, to say, yeah, come yeah. on. You know? yeah. And it's part of your personality. I don't want it to be any more than that. I want it to be easy and applicable, and people can do little things every day to make their lives better or their family members better or their work situation. If it's uh, if it's a corporate, then what can that what can that corporate entity do to change the culture? How do we change the culture? And I work with, as you know, with, with the construction industry and with the guards and with, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken to 500 construction workers over in Wembley that are all looking at me, folded arms with tattoos and looking at me saying, you know, what's this guy got to say to us? And had and had men breaking down after those talks and coming to see me out in the back of the car park. You know, I talked to one guy that I judged, seven foot two, biggest guy I'd ever seen in my life. Seven foot two, size, I think his size his shoes were about size 25 shoes. And he came up to me afterwards and I made the mistake. I said, my God, look at the size. I said, you must be, you must be a former rugby player or anything. Because I thought he was coming up to me to talk about rugby. Big mistake. He came up with a tear in his eye and he said, Brendan, he said, I'm being bullied at work. And I thought, you've just done the same thing. I've just done the same thing that he's faced every day. And that was a lesson to me. Yeah. That all these men that are working in the construction industry or in the guards or in these in the fire department and the in the you know, at any situation, that presume to be strong emotionally. And actually they're not. And you're in a position there where you can really make a difference for somebody and, yeah. and help them open up or draw inspiration from you. And wh where do you draw inspiration? Well, I've, I, I use a lot of other people in my life. Um, I do go to poems or I do go to segments of speeches, but I always remember carrying around the um, poem If. I'm going to play a little bit of that yeah. and then we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll have a chat about it then, okay? If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue. Or walk with kings, nor lose the common touch. If neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you. If all men count with you, but none too much. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And, which is more, you'll be a man, my son. That's very emotional for me. I know it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful that, poem. That poem, I just pinned it up as a teenager when I was going through those problems. I pinned it up, and for some reason, from a sporting perspective, that was the one line that res resonated me. But I think looking back and reading that poem many times, I think it has all the lessons in life. It's kind of like the, 
the 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 Bible for religious religious people. It, it hasn't, even though it was written what you know, a hundred years ago or something or whatever. It still has so many life lessons. But I think that one line, for some reason, that if you can give everything you've got to that minute, and I used to have that written down. I would carry it round and and in in my pocket before rugby matches, and I go off into the to the toilet and I get out this piece of paper and I'd say, to me, it really meant that. Give everything you've got for that minute. You know, fill it up that minute and you'll be a man, my son. Because nobody can ask any more of anybody than that. And nobody can ask any more of anybody in life but to give all that they've got, mm. you know. And it's, I mean, it's. Lo I think that's such a lovely idea to find something yeah. that, you know, will mean something to you at a time when you might not yeah. feel great. No, and license and 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 there's all message in there to be humble and the risk thing to lose all to 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 gamble you know all your money away not meaning it in a in a, in a sense but then pick up the pieces afterwards if you've lost so it, it has loss in it it has love in it it has rewards it has being humble if you can talk to 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 kings and 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 people alike you know if you can treat people the same it's got everything in it you know it's got everything in it now in modern society about treating people with respect and whether it's diversity now, whether it's racism or whatever, it's 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 just yeah. I just think it's 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 a wonderful message. But it was just that one passage that I used to propel myself in situations when I said, "Hey, you know, you might not be the best player in the world, you might not be the the best person at this job, but my God, are you going to give it everything you've got? Mm. You know, for that mm. one minute." I love it when sports people say, "I've no regrets." You know, yes, I might have been injured, but I gave it everything. I gave it everything for Ireland. I gave it everything for the All Blacks. I gave it everything like that. Yeah. Because only then can they turn around and say, you know what? You know, life is a funny way of working out. But if I gave it everything, then I could do no more. Rugby has just given me the opportunities. I'd be thankful. It, here's something. I, I mean it. I, it's given me the opportunity to change people's lives even minutely. Hmm. And anything that I've done on a rugby field, and I've done a lot, pales into comparison to somebody coming up to you on the street and, and grabbing your hand and saying, Brent, you changed my life. Hmm. It pales in comparison. So my legacy, I've already, already decided, my legacy and my purpose for as long as I can is to leave people in a better space and for people not to have had the life I've had. And that's strange to say because people are going to turn around and say, but aren't you on the TV and haven't you followed your dreams and haven't you played rugby? Yes, 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 yes. All those things. Mm. What I mean about it is I wouldn't want those. I wouldn't want those earlier years back for me because they were traumatic. They were hard. They were filled with guilt and regret and sadness and loneliness. And I don't want people to feel like that because I just think it's so simple to change those. Now, for some people, it's going to be harder and the road is going to be longer. And I get it. I get it. And those are the people that we have to care for. And those are the people we have to show. My father was a very empathetic man, man, you see. So that's what I loved about him. He yeah. was always giving back. And yeah. I've inherited some of that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a responsibility to look after others, yeah. but also to look after yourself. Yeah. Love starts with you. Exactly. Exactly. And I take away from today, actually, the fact is like, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. I mean, that yeah. seems to be a good thing, you know. And uh, I think you go looking to get out of your comfort zone. I do now. From, yeah, I do. I and that's another, that. that's another lesson. Yeah. Because the best things happen out there. You get people saying, you know, even when you come bring it back to relationships, they say, you know, 
I met someone that I didn't think was going to be right for me because my comfort zone was always a certain person. I, I took a job that I never thought would be a success. How many people out there turn around a couple of years later and say, you know what? What I thought was the worst decision of my life turned out to be the best decision. Yeah. And you get knocked down and you get knocked down. All the most successful people in life have been knocked down plenty of times. It's just that they've had the resilience and the ability to get back up and go again and say, okay, I'm going to risk it for a biscuit. Yeah, I mean, I had Mark Little for one of the podcasts. Yeah, yeah, well, Mark, uh, a typical example. Uh, previously, and he said, well, if you can think of the worst thing that can happen yeah. uh, and you're okay with that, then just exactly. go for it. Perfect. And I just thought that, that was That is the way example. to deal with people out there that are listening that are not in a particularly good place and they're worried about something or they're overcome with anxiety. Do exactly that, what Mark said, yeah. because that's a secret. Look at that thing and say, if I can live with this, if I can live with this, then that's okay. Yeah. yeah. That's okay. And I think that's a great message to actually end with today. Yeah. Brent, there's so much more we could chat about. And thank you very, very much <laughs> well for being able to chat, as you know. <laughs> so generous with yourself and your advice oh, and so. for helping others. And it can't yeah. always be easy, but I have first-hand experience of that making a difference. So yeah. don't go no, changing, Brent. <laughs> and thank you, the listeners, for listening today. I hope you enjoy the show. We'll put that um, poem that Brent chose onto our show notes as well as more information about Brent and if you like the show please do rate us and subscribe Um, and thank you very much for listening